Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hi, this is Anna David. You're listening to After Party Pod, podcast about addiction recovery. Today, there is a very special guest, but before I get to him, let me just say, welcome if you're new, if you're, if you're old, and I don't mean old, I mean an old timer to the podcast. Um, hey, very glad to have you too. I so appreciate the emails I get and the Facebook messages and even tweets. However you want to communicate uh, about this podcast, I am open to that. I also want to tell you I have another podcast called You've Got Issues with Anna David available wherever you found this podcast. There's a website for that. It's called Issues with Anna. You can sign up for that newsletter, issueswithannanewsletter.com. As for this podcast, it's a part of After Party Magazine, which is a part of rehabreviews.com, the world's Largest resource for treatment. That's all I got for you. Let's get into the guest. This was a true honor. His name is Herb K. And if you are in 12-step circles, you have probably heard about him. I explained this in the interview, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. But about a year ago, I started working uh, my steps the Herb K way, as it's called friend brought me his book, which is uh, a 12-step guide to using the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. And she and I sat down and started working our steps together. We were meeting every week. We were so on the ball and it was fun and useful. And now we've slowed down a little bit and, but we're still doing it. And it's been, it's had a profound impact on my life. I reached out to her because somebody he works with regularly, Dr. Alan Berger, is wonderful, has been on the podcast before. I got on their newsletter list. One thing led to another. I reached out. He was here. Uh, He has been sober since 1984. And in 1988, he had a profound spiritual awakening, um, which led him eventually to doing the book that I have been working through. In addition to that book, he's also published 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening Enlightenment for Everyone. He was spent seven years in the seminary, uh, his graduate degree in psychology, and until he retired, this was not his life's work. He worked for four decades in human resources. Now he teaches these workshops all over. There are cruises. You can find out no- more by going to his website, HerbK.com. His books are on Amazon at all. Anyway, I'm going to give you Herb K. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. 
Oh my god, I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal, I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? It is, um, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you from, for coming from Palace Palace. Palos Verdes? Yes, that sounds very nice, Palos Verdes. I'm not saying it correctly, though. You are. Wow. It's green sticks. That's what it means? Yeah. And, and so you were just telling me, you, um, this is now, you're sober 30... 32 and a half years. 32 and a half years, and you work with previous podcast guest, Dr. Alan Berger. Correct. A lovely, lovely man. Right. And, um, and this has become your life's work, and you have large influence in this community. As I told you when I first reached out to you, yes. I am currently engaged in the work that you uh, put out there. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. On my eighth step. And I mm. must tell you, I'm having a new experience with it. All right. Wonderful. I yeah. really am. And tell me about how you're engaged with it and just remind me of it. Okay. <clears throat> so, and I didn't tell you much before. So mm. basically I am, um, I'll be, uh, 16 years sober in November. I've done my steps many times. Mm. And, um, at this point, uh, a friend came to me about a year ago and she said, uh, do you know about the Herb K book? And I said, no. <laughs> and she said, well, he does this workshop, but we, she and I are both traffic phobic. It's very far away. Why don't you and I just do it together? Mm-hmm. And so, Wonderful. yeah. And so we started listening to the, the tapes, the CDs, I guess, the digital files and started working with the book. And it was literally a year ago and we're on step eight and yeah. yeah, we're doing it. We're it, doing it thoroughly. It, it's yeah. It takes a year to two years to do it thoroughly if you're following my guide and my and my instructions and my experience. And it's kind of surreal to have you sitting here in my office, no, it's having wonderful. having been spending yeah. this time doing it. Um, you know, for the fourth step, um, actually breaking down uh, my fears was something new mm-hmm. to me because I had only done it as a list and I had never done it as a result of what I had learned from my resentments ever. Right. And I don't know if this is a credit to you or a credit to where I am in my uh, recovery that the eighth step is so, uh, sorry, seventh step is so real for me right now. I'll take credit. Take credit. Let's (laughs) say it's a combo. It's teamwork. But I am doing something I've never done, which is I'm spending, um, it's happening naturally. I'm not planning it. Roughly two weeks on each uh, defect. Where it is oh, what mm-hmm. I'm praying about in the morning. Right. Mm-hmm. As a focus. As a focus. And mm-hmm. I'm not doing the behavior. Yeah. So tell me what you think. Well, it's my experience and it's my prayer and hope for other people when they read about the instructions that I was given and the experience I had as the result of following those instructions that although I'm powerless over the character defect, I'm 100% responsible for the behavior that manifests from the character defect. Right. So I pray right. because I'm powerless, right. the seven-step prayer. Right. And then I hold myself accountable depending on the nature of the character defect du jour. Right. Uh, whether it's a daily accountability with a, an accountability partner or a weekly accountability, but then I tell them, what it is I'm concerned about and what I'm trying to do as an opposite action to the character defect. Right, right. And uh, 
my experience is that the character defect not only diminishes, it disappears. Well, that's what's interesting about it. I've never, it, it's never been quote unquote easier to yeah. not act on it. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I, I can't ex actually explain it. Oh, I could do some spiritual theory. Right. But that's not necessary. Right. Because right. I just observe that there's a change that happens. And I'm a practical guy. Yeah. If it, if I take some actions and there's a result that I like, I'm going to continue with the action. Yeah. And then I'm going to teach people about that so that they can, in fact, reduce their own suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you come to understand? Um, is it that that the twelve steps, as outlined, wasn't thorough enough? Uh, what happened? <laughs> I got sober February 21st, 1984, because the hospital said the hospital in which my wife was incarcerated for her alcoholism, not me, mm -hmm. I didn't have a problem, mm -mm. they said stop drinking, mm -hmm. and I said okay. And That was it. I stopped drinking. Two months later, they said, why don't you try a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous? Mm -hmm. And so I did. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I found that it was something that introduced me to a way of living that was profound. Mm -hmm. I, somehow I took to it. Mm -hmm. And then after four years, I did the steps in my first year out of the big book mm -hmm. on my own with no instruction. Uh huh. Nothing Not happened. Not recommended. No, nothing happened. Yeah. And at four years, I heard a man share about using the big book as a textbook mm -hmm. and that he had a step guide for each of the steps, for each of the pages, and that they were per precise directions. And he had a credibility, not only in his eyes and his bearing, but in the tone of his voice. And it resonated with me at a deep level, and he agreed then to take me through the 12 steps. This is not Alan Berger, though. No, no. Okay. His fellow's name is Jerry R., uh -huh. and um, that was 1988. Mm -hmm. It took a year, 1 to 12. I finished my ninth step, and I realized I had been changed. The description of spiritual awakening in the back of the book, Appendix 2, says it's a change in the way we think and feel and behave, and it's done to us, not by us. I had no idea what that meant when I read it, mm -hmm. but after I did the work and I looked back over my shoulder, I knew it from experience. I had been changed. And, and where did he get this workbook? It's something he came up with? There was no workbook. Okay, so yeah, when no, he no, said he, yeah, he, he just had a way. He had a way. That was of, slower. Of reading the big book and doing what it said. But he had had a, his own experience with a person who had had the experience of reading the big book and doing it literally and precisely with some expansion and interpretation, because some of the information in the big book certainly is not intuitive, and it's not actually a very clear instruction, mm -hmm. but somehow it's been passed down from a group that started this process this way out of Denver, mm -hmm. which is kind of codified now under the umbrella Fellowship of the Spirit. 
Wherever you see those words, you probably are looking at a tribe of people that have, in fact, been exposed to the big book as a textbook and have done the steps precisely as indicated and have all had a spiritual awakening, which is the promise of the 12th step. And, and at what point did you sit down to write this as a, as a guidebook? What do you call it? Uh, my book is, yeah. a, is a guide to the 12 steps, a guide to the big book. And um, I had an experience in 88 of transformation because of the work. Then I was asked by the community to do a workshop, which I then began doing annually. As a preparation for those workshops, I began to write out some stuff. And in 2004, I put it all together in the book. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I was led, my, my interpretation, I'm an, I was led by the Spirit to write the second book, which is 12 Steps to Spiritual Awakening, which is then a prose description mm -hmm. of my experience, not only with the steps, but my broader experience. I'm a dilettante Buddhist. Mm -hmm. I studied to be a Catholic priest in a monastery for seven years. So I have a broad and deep background in comprehensive spirituality, I had the information, mm -hmm. <laughs> I had the exposure, but I didn't have any experience. And that's the phenomena that has tripped my trigger to give me a passion about the 12-step methodology because it put it all together and brought me to the place that I had hoped was available, mm -hmm. a what I call the relationship with the mystery. And so this, this happened, in, your relationship with it happened in your fourth year. Is that correct? Uh, or four yes. to five? Yeah. At the end of the fourth year, yeah. between four and five, I did the steps in 1988. But my experience is it's a process. Yeah. I was invited by the Spirit again because I began a practice of meditation at that point. I hadn't meditated for 25 years. After I left the monastery, I didn't want to meditate at all. Seven years of silence, seven years of meditating, seven years of school on meditation and accountability for it. And I walked out in 1964 and didn't meditate again for another 25 years. Well, seven, because, so you, I'm sorry, yeah. not to miss, the, no, the, no, yeah. you did not speak for seven years. Well, it, there was a silence in the monastery. We had two half hour periods during the day after lunch and after dinner where we were allowed to talk. Or in class, because we're young men in college, we're allowed to obviously have discussion in, in the class. But other than that, it was strict silence. And how come you didn't take any of that into your, the rest of your life? Uh, you were because you were an active drinker. Well, well because I believe uh, alcoholism had begun to flourish in me. I didn't know that. And um, I had not connected to how to do it and why to do it and what the value was. Right. It was just part of the system, and so I adopted it. But once I had done the steps in 1988, and I had this experience of transformation, and I saw the importance of meditation to foster that, I became a daily meditator. Do, do you do a specific practice? Uh, the one from the big book. Which is, can you describe that? Yeah. Um, upon awakening, we ask God to direct our thinking. The man asked me to read pages 85 to 88 from the big book, two and a half pages that was more profound and more practical than any of the tomes I had read and studied in the monastery. Two and a half pages gave me a practice of meditation. The man said, look up the word in the dictionary. Meditation. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I thought I knew. Mm -hmm. 
Well, what does it say? I really didn't. The dictionary says meditation is directed thinking. It's the use of the mind to think, to reflect, to discern. The use of the mind, which is totally contra to the sort of the the understanding in the population, in the culture, especially in the twelve-step rooms, because they don't understand what meditation is. They think it's something mystical and mysterious, and no mind and emptiness yeah. and silence, and it's not. Well, mindfulness is a very That's common word today. It's a big, trendy word right it now. It is, it is. But mindfulness is more a contemplative practice in contrast to a meditation practice. Right. A meditation practice is the use of my mind to think. A contemplative practice is the use of my will to be present, to be conscious, mm -hmm. to be in a state of awareness. Very, very different practice. Now, I've combined the two because in 88... I understood how to do meditation from the big book, and I did that. Upon awakening, we ask God to direct our mm -hmm. thinking. That's a prayer. Mm -hmm. And then I use my thinking as the medium of the message. So I watch my thinking as a direct response to the prayer. The messages I'm getting through my thoughts and my feelings and my awareness is the answer from God, the wee small voice inside of us. This is my interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I listen to that. And I get better at listening to it. And I get better at distinguishing between the wee small voice of the spirit and the very large voice of my ego. How long a practice is it? Uh, it started out as five minutes. It became a daily practice of 15 minutes. And today, it's a practice of 30 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. In 1989, I came across another teacher, Thomas Keating who talked about the contemplative practice from a monastery. He was a Benedictine, is a Trappist monast uh, a monk from Snowmass now. And he taught uh, a, a course on uh, centering prayer, mm -hmm. which is a contemplative practice. That's why I can make that distinction between meditation and contemplation. And I've now brought the contemplative practice into my intentional consciousness practice because that's the umbrella term I'm using for it mm -hmm. and um, so I do probably five or ten minutes of the meditation from the big book and then I do probably 15 or 20 minutes of the contemplative practice from the centering prayer and it's kind of an amalgam of all mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. number one to get guidance and number two to be changed do you lead people through this meditation I practice do. is that part of the workshop um, it, no, the teaching is from the workshop, but I do half-day and one-day workshops um, regularly around the country. Yeah, I, um, I was signed up for one, and something came up, and my friend Sarah, who I'm doing the steps mm -hmm. with, went and said it was fantastic and brought back worksheets. Come to Santa Barbara. We're doing, Alan Berger and I yes. are doing a one-day workshop on emotional sobriety Yes. on July 16th. And um, by the time listeners have heard this, I may have gone, and I will be far more emotionally sober than the person you're hearing today. And you're doing a cruise, which sounded kind of fun. Do I do, do two a year. Uh huh. This is a fellow who owns a travel agency uh -huh. and is a, a in recovery mm -hmm. and has a subsidiary company that specializes in sober travel, especially sober cruising. He made contact with me about three years ago because of the work I do. And he said, would you bring it onto the ship? 
because there are some downtimes and people would appreciate having a one, two, three hour workshop in particular areas. And so I do two a year, one in the spring and one in the fall. So is it the entire ship? No, 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 no. Okay. It's, it's anywhere from 50 to 100 people that have signed up under the umbrella of the Sober Cruise. Right, right, right. Yeah. I have been on cruises. My family's very into cruises. I like cruises. And um, and I, I would go to meetings on the cruise, yeah. which, were, which were kind of weird. And yeah, the not... meetings are okay. Yeah. Um, uh, but this is a specified yeah. agenda with a workshop and a title. We do sponsorship and meditation and or an overview of the 12 steps and a little bit maybe of inventory, although people on a cruise don't want to work that hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Um, and so, basically, was it a surprise that this has become your yeah life's work? It's it's actually kind of a joke because uh-huh. I mean I, I mean in the sense that I I kind of chuckle. Yeah. Uh, in 1964, I made a decision to leave the monastery after seven years. I was three years away from ordination because mm-hmm. I could see when I was ordained. I was going to have to teach and preach and help people, and I didn't want to do that. Do you see the irony of that? It is, it is. Because that's what I do now. I retired 10 years ago to teach and preach and help people. And so you had this entirely separate career that had nothing to do with spirituality. Oh, that's correct. I was a human resources consultant in corporate America. And um, your experience in 1988... Uh, how often would you say you have to, well, repeat doing the steps in order to maintain that? Yeah, it, it's a really excellent question. And I know there's a lot of different mm, opinions and there's a lot of different experience on it. My experience is that I did the steps on my own in the first year of recovery to no avail. Nothing happened because I did it on my own. I didn't know what I was doing and there was no accountability. Right. At four years, between four and five, I did the steps with a very experienced teacher. I called him a step guide, and I had a profound life-changing experience. And in about three years after that, in my meditation, I could feel the urging of the Spirit. And actually, a person's name and face came in front of me, and I engaged that person. And that happened three more times, every third year, approximately. And then it stopped, and then at about 10 years space, the Spirit invited me to do it one more time. That was 2003, and I haven't had the inclination to do the steps since. Now, I know there are some people that say, do them once, and that's enough, live in 10, 11, and 12. And I know there are some people that say, do it every year. I have no opinion on that, if that's their experience, and, and it helps them, terrific. I'll share, I've shared with you my experience. And when you say a person's name and face came into like, yeah. some so specifically. So so you're sitting there and you know you need to do this and then you go, Well, Joe or whatever. It just exactly. suddenly pops into your head. Well, and it's people that perhaps I had met and somehow it had been planted a seed in me, but it was literally the name and the face came to me. And do you do it say the way that I'm doing it with my friend Sarah, where we're do we're uh, part and sponsoring each other, sort of? No, they are definitely the teacher. I'm mm-hmm. the student. They are the step guide. I am being guided. And each one of them contributed a different aspect of the steps. The first time I had an experience with the physical allergy. The second time with the mental obsession. 
the third time with the spiritual malady, unmanageability. Each. Oh, oh God, just ignore that as long as it's not in your way. Each time Can I, you? Can you? Is it bothering you? Each time oh I gosh. had. No. Each time I had a different experience, and the benefit now of my workshops and my book is that it's an amalgam of all those experiences, which I believe now are very holistic and complete. Well, because if the spirit hit you to do it again, it would be sort of hard because here you've got the guidebook on how to do but it. But I'm very open that new we know in. only a little. Yeah. Bill Wilson said it in the big book, and, and it was true for him, and I know it's true for me. Today, I have a lot of light. I have a lot of experience. Therefore, I can see a lot. But I also know from my experience that there's more light. Yeah. And if I stay consistently pressed against this process... I use the dimmer switch analogy. Mm -hmm. The dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time, and there's, it produces more light, and I'll see more mm -hmm. a year from now. I'll look back, and I'll go, oh, okay, I see that differently now. Yes, I've had that experience, but, and, it's, and it's always surprising because you only know what you know when you know and it. And I tell you know? people who begin this work, buckle up and be prepared to be surprised. But when it's so when the book's out there, would you do you just do a version two, or an appendix, or you know what I'm saying? As you mean new when I pu publish? Yeah, well, new information comes to the, you. The second book is now in its tenth year, and I am completely revising it based on that experience and the new light of the ten years, and that'll be published next year. Hazelton has asked me, and I'm under contract with them, to write a book on meditation. And so that's the book that'll be called Intentional Consciousness. Okay. That's where I came up with the name so that we could have a sort of a... A guide. Uh, a a yeah, name for yeah. this I don't want to call it meditation because a lot of people have a predisposition prejudice about what meditation is. Right. I don't want to call it contemplation because it's too sophisticated. People right. will go, oh, what is that? Yeah. I give a new name now. Intentional right. consciousness, which we'll talk about prayer and meditation and contemplation and centering prayer and mindfulness and God knows what else. Now, when you talked about um, the the three experiences you had, you know, one, the physical allergy, and then mm. you mentioned the spiritual malady, would you say that the spiritual malady is what most in recovery are suffering from? And clueless about, yes. My personal speculation, it's just an opinion, is that there's an awful lot of relapse in 12-step recovery, not because... They don't want recovery, not because they don't try hard, but because there's an ignorance about and a lack of experience with unmanageability, the spiritual malady. They really don't understand what it is. Bill Wilson was very clear. First half of the first step, we recover from that. He uses the term recovered throughout the big book. Mm -hmm. Recovered, meaning it's no longer an issue. Mm -hmm. He says, in fact, in step 10, we've been placed in a position of neutrality. But he also says in step 10, we're never cured. Mm -hmm. We have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. That's because of unmanageability, which I translate as the spiritual malady. We have a cancer of the soul that needs to be treated on a daily basis. It's never excised. It's, it's exorcised on mm -hmm. a daily basis. Mm -hmm. What... Um 
do you say to people who say, well, I'm an alcoholic, I'd like to be sober, but I'm not interested in any of this God stuff? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do a spiritual awareness group in an outpatient treatment center um, because the owner is a friend of mine and he asked me to help out. And I'm dealing with adolescents, my definition, 18 to 25. Mm -hmm. Very defiant mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. It's just startling. They're so defiant. Okay. And every one of them has been in a minimum of four treatment centers, mm -hmm. up to as many as 12 to 15 treatment centers, and they're not even 25 yet. Right. And yet they're still defiant and resistant. And I've had to develop a vocabulary and an approach and an attitude about neutralizing the fourth dimension vocabulary, spirituality, God, higher power, 12 steps, AA, whatever. I've had to neutralize all of that and find a vocabulary that will talk about a methodology that will reduce your suffering mm -hmm. and bring about a change that you've not been able to bring about by yourself. And they have to be, of course, suffering sufficiently that they will listen to that and then willing to take actions that are contrary to the prior actions. There's the trick. But Dr. Alan Berger is the one, he's the professional, I'm not. Mm -hmm. And he said, in psychology, we're taught, meet them where they are. Not where they think they are, not where they want to be, not where you think they are or where you want them to be. Meet them actually where they are. And so uh, it's been very beneficial to me, and which is, of course, my experience with any time you try to help, I receive more help than I'm given, actually. Mm -hmm. Now, what is some of the link? I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are not interested in any sort of yeah. spiritual solution. Yeah, sure. What's some of the language that you use then? The Buddhist language of higher self, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. There is a life force in us. Um, Alan has a series of slides that goes from an acorn mm -hmm. to a sapling to a hundred-year oak tree. What is the life force in that that cracks open the acorn, given good circumstances, creates a sapling, and allows it over 100 years to become an oak tree? That's the life force in us. I don't care what you call it. There is some kind of organis organis organistic, mm -hmm. is that the word? Sure. Yeah, yeah. organismic, that's the word. Uh, life force in us, and make up your own story about it. Right. Maybe it's just good biology or good psychology. I don't have any problem. You figure out your story. See, there's the silver bullet of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have no dogma. Mm -hmm. There's People nothing... disagree with that, though. Well, they can disagree, but what are they disagreeing with? That we have no dogma? Oh, we have no dogma. I, we have I, no theology. Yeah. In fact, the big book is very clear. Page 53. What's your choice? Right. What's your choice? You choose. We have no opinion. We have no opinion. You choose. We have no rules. There are consequences to action. If you take this action, there will be positive consequences. If you take this action, there will be negative consequences. You choose. What results do you want? You know, one of the things I will tell you, you know, for my first 10 years of sobriety, I really believed this idea that if you were not uh, practicing the 12 steps, you were going to die or go to jail. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and I have now, through doing the work that I do, mm. encounter people all the time 
who that is not their experience. Yeah. What do Me- you, meaning what? What is their experience? Meaning they never did that. They never did what? They never did any 12-step. Oh, and, then, and what was their experience then? They, by all appearances, mm-hmm. I am not in their soul. Of course. Appear to be fine. Yeah. Appear to be not interested in drinking. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there's a lot of non-alcoholics in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. They were immature, they were irresponsible, they had life circumstances, and they drank and they got in trouble, and they thought they were an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And if, in fact, you're not an alcoholic, you may not need to do what a real alcoholic has to do. But also, given that, there are many ways to having a spiritual awakening or a transformation. Keep out the word spiritual. I even eliminate the word Mm -hmm. spiritual. Um, Maslow hierarchy of values at the very top of the pyramid has a word. He calls it spiritual, but he calls it Mm self-actualization. And that's what the Buddhists have, don't they? Mm -hmm. They have a transformation of consciousness so that you, in fact, evolve into your true self, into your higher self. I have no problem with those words. Today, my higher power word is mystery. Because I don't know. Mm -hmm. and And it doesn't matter. I'm so practical. Because when I take certain actions, I get certain results, and I like the results. The word I use for my life is flourishes, and my life has flourished for 28 years since I did this work. Do you envision anything? Meaning what? Meaning um, when you pray. Yeah. Are you envisioning anything specific hearing it? No, uh, prayer for me is a communication with myself, my higher self, Got with it. a healthy spirit with the human spirit with the holy spirit choose your hs word (laughs) right right um but in meditation i don't visualize anything in the sense of uh, a vision statement or anything along that line all right so that was herb k on after party pod you may have noticed we got cut off at the end you guys i haven't had a tech problem in a while i had a mini tech problem you didn't miss much Basically, uh, we talked about where you could find him, and it's at herbk.com. So I'm sorry about that. Sorry if that was abrupt and jarring and all of those things. Thank you for listening to After Party Pod. If you like the podcast, go review it, rate it, subscribe it, all of the above, and I will see you next time.